Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Swung on, lines the deep left field. It is gone! It went! This is the official Covering the Corner podcast, episode 174. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and in this week's episode, we'll have some meatballs for you, some little tidbits of what happened this week in baseball. Talk about Shane Bieber breaking records in his missing cutter this season. Talk about Jordan Luplo, if he can actually hit right-handed batters, if not, then, or right-handed pitchers, and if he can't, what are we going to do with him? What are we going to do with this whole Cleveland roster in general? Uh, we'll look ahead to the White Sox and Yankees series coming up. One team that just hit no, that no hit Cleveland, another team that looks like they are entirely on fire for all the wrong reasons. And we asked everybody on Twitter what their ideal outfield for Cleveland would be right now. We actually got a ton of responses to that, so we'll we'll go through a bunch of those, uh, a lot of great ideas. A lot of Albert Bell suggestions in there, which I will take, um, but we'll talk about that. And joining me for all that and more is another Mr. Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how you doing? Do we not have a name for the podcast? Oh yeah, we're the Covering the Corner podcast. We talked about this, man. Okay. Sorry, I just my life is full of puns and irony. I figured we'd pick one of the two, and so, but we got neither, and here we are. Well, we have a corner conversations. We're going to use for something else, so because that was a good one. But corner talk was too little. I also don't want to do like a million corner things because we've all we've already done a million corner things. So I guess back it off. We can talk about the middle of the street sometimes. There's also yeah. roundabouts. There's um, interchanges. Uh, what else we got? We got. Um, Bridges, that's another piece of infrastructure. There we go. We'll just be the infrastructure podcast. There is this mailbox that's on the corner down near my house that I stare at a lot, and I'm pretty sure is being marked by a man who's a spy every now and again for when he had a dead drop is full. Either that or it's graffiti. I can't tell which, but I stare at it every day <laughs> while I drink coffee in the morning. <laughs> I know you don't live in like a small ish town i i, I guess no i live in anything, the but... capital of the entire country <laughs> yeah. but i so i don't think you have like the know the same experience of i don't know if you ever used the next door app but my personal favorite for around here was somebody was outside the car smoking at the same spot every day and so that was like the big story on our local next door for about a solid month until somebody asked him and he just works at the hospital nearby yeah. and drives down the smoke and that was it and that was so when you live in a town of like ten thousand people that's the big story of the month yeah, i remember just... my last job because it was out kind of in this one of those kind of you know large cities have like and dc's in a large city medium-sized cities have like those kind of crappy industrial small towns where like all the hvac companies are and like all the plumbing companies are and there's like an old train yard anyway every day at work i didn't want to be near work during lunch so i drive across the street to the church and just nap in the park and nap in the in the parking lot in my car uh eventually a sign popped up saying do not loiter here I was like damn it was such a it was great it was a great treat and that so i found a, an a, a industrial park to nap in the backyard of gotta find a place to just dick around when you're when you're the job you hate <laughs> you know what else uh i'm not gonna leave the dick around that's weird yep <laughs> 
<laughs> slapping noise. <laughs> Meatball. Meatballs, Merritt. That's what links to the last thing you just said in a totally normal way. <laughs> Very smooth, um, <laughs> Matthew. <laughs> there was, of course, some baseball this week. Some of it not great. I'd say a lot of it not great. The White Sox series was really good, but... That was maybe, honestly, that was probably going to be the best series of the entire year from an objective observer's oh, yeah. point of view. I mean, if I'm Other being quite honest... unspeakable horror. Well, that again, happened, but. from a neutral point of view, you got to see a landmark event, you got, and you saw a couple incredible games. So, fantastic. Yeah, so what's your meatball this week, Merritt, for all the games that we saw? I encapsulate the series over the weekend with the Reds. Uh, first leg of my favorite event of the baseball season, that's right, the Ohio Cup. I'm referring to it as a leg because I'm watching too much soccer. Uh, I know most people don't really give a damn about the Ohio Cup. I think it's a neat thing, though, and I wish that Major League Baseball would push these things like this more, I guess. I don't know. I mean, obviously, they talk about the freeway series and the subway series, but this is a fun one. I even wish that there was like a ban- – because obviously, there was a cup that they exchanged, like, a, like a, an actual trophy. I wish there was a banner that flew that like was like half red and half blue and like it was half you – know, whatever. I don't know. And so, like, whoever holds the cup also flies the banner that year. And that way, the, the fans could also point to him and go, hell yeah. And then there could be hijinks. Take with, that, Cincinnati! With stealing it, yeah, you know. I mean, hey, we're, we're all we're all we're, we're all here just battling for the favor of beautiful Columbus. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, my meatball kind of encapsulates the whole series, and about something that a weird little kind of nugget that nearly happened, if not for Josh Naylor. Um, if Josh Naylor hadn't biffed that play in the ninth inning of, the, of Saturday's game, which was very sad, we're all upset about it. We all love Josh Naylor here. We were very close to having, in every single game, the losing team have both the top exit velocity and the furthest hit ball in the seat or in the in that game. I know that's very kind of obscure, but I just thought it was a neat, weird thing. And, and on Friday, Andres Jimenez hit a ball 110.2 miles an hour. Meta Rosario hit one 399 miles an hour. Both of those, the top exit velocity and distance. Uh, Cleveland lost 10 to three in Saturday. Jesse Winker hit the ball 109 or 111 miles an hour, and Tucker Barnard hit one 412. And now again, if not for the biffing, uh, that would have been a win for the Tribe and then also the Reds doing it. And on Sunday, Tyler Naquin hit the ball 109.6 and 428 feet. They lost that game. Uh, yeah, just a neat little thing. Um, baseball's full of just weird ebbs and flows of and now we have more data than ever we get to play with it also the winning team had the highest velocity thrown in every single game if not that biffing who won who won the reds could beat him in, or i guess class a probably didn't pitch every he didn't game, he but... didn't pitch well, that's the thing he didn't pitch one actually no no never mind he went not there to 16 yeah uh Cionel perez through 97.5 uh class a did not pitch on friday couldn't even hit a hundred. Wow, Red. garbage, garbage. They call you him. You don't have a guy who throws a hundred mile per hour cutter. Are you trying right now? They call him Garbage McTrash Man, and <laughs> that's a name that's, a, that's assigned to literally anyone who can't hit the ball a hundred miles an hour easily. Unless they're Shane Bieber, then you can. Unless you can well, throw seven different pitches, then wrong. Yeah. Also, Garbage McTrash Man. Well, All go. pitchers. There's three guys out there who aren't Garbage McTrash Man. Mine um, is, and it relates to the biffing in in question. Is Josh Naylor's. Uh, I like biffing. That's a good name for it. It was basically a Bill Buckner play the ball under his glove. It was a bounce. But I think people are forgetting the fact that before that, he had two decent plays at first base. They weren't exactly the most difficult plays in the world. The first one was a 92.3 mile per hour ground out. The second was 67.8 miles per hour with a weird bounce. So this wasn't like plays that anybody would struggle with, but he's barely played first base. He barely played it. Um, he wasn't hit to a whole lot when he was there on Saturday. And then he made those twos really cleanly. And if he would have made that last play, I think we'd be talking about how pretty decent he was at first base and not 
that last play where I'm assuming either he he thought he had the ball or he thought it was going to bounce like it was like a half inch away from being in his glove. It was so yeah. ridiculously close, but he missed. Um, I think it was just a, a misplay. Obviously, he looked torn up behind. Like they showed the shot of Class A he after sure he gave up a hit man. afterwards. He looked just devastated. <laughs> There's so many people saying that he's like terrible in defense and he just sucks. But I, he's not a great defender. But I think he's a perfectly fine first baseman. I think for 99 percent of that game, he proved that he could play first base if Bobby Bradley and Jake Bowers are nothing and they end up going away. And I think he's fine at first base. And I wish he would have made that play. And we could talk about that. That he was all right there. And also that Franville Reyes was just a Mack truck out there who with a rocket arm. Because <laughs> he's the funniest thing is was watching him chase down the ball. And he's he's the slowest man I've ever seen around the outfield. But then he just trebuchets the ball into the infield with zero accuracy. Uh, there were two throws. There was one. I think he just was supposed to throw it to the cutoff man. But he just, I don't know. Jose Ramirez caught it between second and third for some reason. Who needs a cutoff man? <laughs> and then another one. It was two second base, but the second baseman was almost at the pitcher's mound. So he's got, it, it's a cannon. It's just not a very well-aimed cannon in right field. And that's also, this ties into Josh Naylor too, because watching Naylor out there, he does not have what you would consider a cannon. It's I kind swear of like he's a, thrown the ball into the dirt. Oh, he did. He spiked so, at least one of several them. Several times. And they cut away I've too soon. It. Yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. I feel like I'm like, is that an arm? No? Okay. He is, I mean. And when he does throw, it's a it's a noodle arm. It's like a wet pool noodle just slinging the ball out there. No, nah, he's, he's built to be a left fielder. I will say, I never I looked at this for an article I'm writing, but he does, in his overall professional career, he has played more first base than any other position. It's just in the majors, he hasn't done it very much. In the minor, he has 2,200 innings at first base. And only 2,000 in the outfield, of which 1,400 is in left field. Now, he, again, built to be a left fielder, noodly arm, probably not a great, uh, you know, defender in general. you got to hide him somewhere. Yeah, and I also think he didn't play first base this year. Like, no matter how good you are, no matter how many of you played thousands of games, yeah. like, if you haven't played for a while, and then you're put in there, and just then you get three straight balls coming to you. Yeah. It'll go great. I'm sure of it. Yeah, and it's also just weird the fact that he got three straight grounders to him. I guess with Emmanuel Classe on the mound, it's not unexpected he's going to get a lot of ground balls, but it was just kind of interesting it's going to Naylor, which also, I mean, just Classe is the closer in general. Like, this isn't a topic we had planned, but I think it's kind of interesting that he is clearly the closer now. Like, it's not James Karinczak. He's the guy who comes in whenever they need an out, and then Whit Grin looks like the setup guy, and Classe is the closer. It's kind of... I guess that play proved why you can't have Classe be your clutch guy because he's not going to strike anybody out and anything can happen when the ball hits the ground. But yeah, um, we saw it then at least. But he's been a good closer. But just Josh Naylor kind of screwed him over there. But I don't think he was as bad as people thought at first base. I thought he was fine. And if he doesn't make that one play, um, just kind of in general, like if you have an opinion that feels strong, but you can turn it based on one tiny little thing, your opinion probably isn't that strong as you think it is. Like if that one little thing, is the difference between thinking Josh Naylor is a great first baseman and a terrible first baseman. He's probably like somewhere in between. And that's where I think he is. I think he's perfectly fine. Not great. But if he can at least hit, then he's better than whatever they have now. And Bowers are probably Bradley at this point. I mean, there's a reason that the positional adjustments for first base are inherently a negative. Like it's a place where you, again, you in the National League, it's a place where you hide people. Uh, if you can, in the American League, it's a place where you put your second worst uh, good hitter who can, def- who can't defend. So, uh, obviously, it was. It's nice when you have a good defensive first baseman, but there's a reason we remark on those is because they're they're not common, I guess. And like, he's not the worst first baseman I've ever seen. I think I remember when they had to play Travis Hafner at first for during interleague play um, back in like the aughts. And ugh, Jesus Christ! I mean, even Edwin Encarnacion. I think they had him over there a couple times. He wasn't good. No, he, wasn't he was the worse, but he was. Pretty bad. Yeah, okay, just a couple stone-footed guys. Like that's a, at least you know Naylor isn't quite so stone-footed. He's a little bit athletic. He's athletic enough where they trust him to play right field and 
you know, in, in a very difficult to play right field there in Cleveland. Yeah. I hate when the ball is hit near him when he's in that outfield. It's, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, if he can catch it, sure. But if that ball hits the ground, it's not uh, going to be pretty because that arm to, is just weak. If he has to go back on it, if he has to do anything, it's like, oh, <laughs> shit, this is a mess. <laughs> like, and that was the other thing with Framel, too. It's like, not that he took terrible routes. Like, he played a ball off the wall really well. He he was running in the right direction, just not nearly fast enough. Like, yeah. You can see him running, and it's a struggle. Out the there. He has the smarts for it. He knows, he knows <laughs> yeah. how to do it. He just literally physically cannot do it, which, I mean, you know. Which is fine. Hit the yeah. ball a thousand feet. I don't care if you can feel it. We, so. can, we can't all be uh, Mookie bets, I guess. Yeah. He's close. We can if we try. <laughs> if we believe. Yeah. I, I guess you could sort of call Shane Bieber the Mookie bets of pitchers, Merritt. Um, I think I'd call I guess him. Part, well, I guess it'd be the Mike Trout of pitchers because no, uh, Jacob DeGrom him. might be the Mike yeah, Trout I'd, of pitchers. I'd say and then yeah, he's the DeGrom because he has a sustained success. Although. He's a late bloomer, though. Yeah. But, I mean, Trout wasn't supposed to be what he is necessarily he just was suddenly the best player and just like Jacob DeGrom very suddenly was the best pitcher. Yeah. He yeah, was 20, but yeah. So Bieber's the Mookie is the point. I think, I think that's fair. I, th- right? I think it's, that he's a... yeah, sure. What the hell? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just making him on the spot. Okay. The point is that we're talking about Shane Bieber now and the fact that he is pitching absolutely insane through the first four starts of his career. It's what is it? The best or tied for the, no, he's tied for Nolan Bryan with the most strikeouts through four starts. Um, he's the first pitcher ever to have four starts of at least 10 strikeouts since the mound was moved back in 1893. He's been ridiculous. He was Detroit and Kansas City shut down, of course, in the first two starts. 12 strikeouts each there. But then he played two legitimate lineups. The White Sox, he shut down for a whole nine innings. That was the really great pitching matchup against Lucas Giolito. He had 11 strikeouts there and a walk. I, I like that he came out at the end there. I think he was he was either close or over 100 pitches, but Tito still let him go. I thought it was yeah, good. Because, it'll I mean, be like 112 or something like that, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't exactly like high-stress pitches, so it was a good decision both as an entertainment thing just to let him go out there and pitch and also because he was probably fine. He wasn't exactly under stressful situations. Like three hits in the whole game, he was fine. And then uh, Cincinnati on Sunday, another legit lineup, obviously. They, they, they crushed Cleveland in one game. So three runs there. It was a little more difficult, but 13 strikeouts. And this is a season where he said he wants to strike out people less so he can work deep into games. But he's just been so good that he's doing both. Like in the first two games, he didn't make it out of the seventh inning. But in the last two, eight innings, nine innings, because he was just been completely unhittable. There's nothing in. And the interesting thing, too, against Chicago was that he he didn't have a strikeout for like the first four innings. And then he just got 11 in the last few. So and he just started piling up. He doesn't he does that every now and again. I feel like that's a kind of a thing he just starts doing. Like he just because he's such a smart pitcher. And I think and, and that's that, that's something he's been doing even like. From when he came up, really, I mean, obviously from 2018, I think he just kind of get his feet wet. But from 19 on, when he just stopped throwing fastballs, he's just so like he just sets people up. And I, I know we're gonna to get to it in just a minute, but like I think that's what he's doing, like with his cutter specifically, just like Kluber did a couple times there. It's like throughout the year, you kind of start folding in this other pits once people start getting used to, you know, like in this case, we go oh, well. It's not like they'll be sitting there, and in that split second, amazing thing that hitters can do where they can see that it's a fastball or a slider. They'll see it. They'll say that's not a fastball because it's spinning, but it's his cutter. And so instead of moving, you know, nineteen feet, it only moves like six inches, and so it'll be a, a, a strikeout looking. Yeah, and you mentioned it too that his cutter has just has vanished. Like we were looking before we, the show that there's a little gap in there. Like his his pitch movement profile is exactly the same as it was last year. Um, he's got a slider and curveball that both drop just about the same, but a little more. And then his his uh, his four seamer is up there. But then there's this little spot where a little cutter. He even threw one that was right where the old one was, and it's just the one, just yeah. the one little cutter. Robbie Grossman, there. just a, it was a it was a high a high ball. Just I don't know, I don't know what the thought process was. I don't, I, again, you know what? 
I don't even know if it was a shittily thrown cu- uh, slider that just kind of ended up drifting up. But yeah, what the hell? If he did, it was, it's funny because it looks exactly like his cutter did too. So if he managed to accidentally throw a perfect cutter, yeah. <laughs> which is what he was going ah, for. Shit. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I threw a cutter then. <laughs> I, I do love the idea if he is just hiding it until like midway through the season and decides his other stuff is getting caught on to. Yeah, because it's all right, I mean, fine. I'm sorry, fifth pitch. Going on, I remember just looking at like uh, Kluber's pitch charts a couple years ago. I think it was 20. It was one of his Cy Young years. Um, his last, his his third Cy Young. He won, he won three, right? Kluber, yeah. uh, two, I two. Think, right? Okay, his second Cy Young in twenty seventeen, I believe. Um, yeah, if you just look at his pitch charts, it's, he's like fifty some odd percent fastballs in April, May, and June. And you just start seeing that slurve just kind of start, and just all of a sudden he's throwing that forty eight percent of the time or something like that. And that was the year where he just something clicked in the second half and it was just, that was it. Like the game, the, the game was over for hitters. He just was, he allowed like something like six runs in the entire second half of the season or something like that. Okay. Right now, Kluber, Corey Kluber is who I'm talking about, Matt. Not the other Kluber. No, no surrey bib. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> it was I, not good this year with the Yankees, but no, but I, I, I think this, that's the kind of thing that great pitchers are able to do simply because they just have that the repertoire to, and um, knowledge and trust in everything they throw. And, I mean, Kluber was doing it was twenty, fucking, thir- you know, like 29, 30, 31. The fact that Bieber is still only, you know, what twenty five, I think. I mean, it's absolutely unspeakable that, that he's able to do that. It's, it's crazy, and um, yeah, it was always kind of a shame that Kluber like didn't start dominating until he was like twenty seven, twenty eight. Because if he would have been like Shane Bieber at Shane Bieber's age, I think he might be better. But I mean, looking at it now, I don't know how. Unless something terrible happens to Shane Bieber, I don't see how Corey Kluber is going to end up being better than him. No, either by yeah. peak or overall, because I, I don't even think Shane Bieber is at his peak yet. Because <laughs> I mean, physically, age-wise, he's not, and I don't think pitching-wise, I think he can get. It's scary to say that he's even better than this, but I don't if he, if he walks fewer batters and if he actually does consciously go out and get less hard contact. Because that's another thing he did too. Like this year, if you look at his his stuff in the last couple of years, when he is hit, he's hit harder. But this year, it's dropped. So if he did make a conscious effort to induce more weak contact even that is already working for him even though he's still striking out too many batters for his his goal of getting deeper in the games but if he's striking out still 15 14 batters per nine and also getting weak contact like it it seems like he can get even better than this if he's not walking more because even this year he's walking more than he ever did like if he gets that down he's back to being like a sub two ERA ridiculous pitcher. So well, again, I mean four plus pitch. I mean I, I, don't, I don't I don't wouldn't call his fastball a plus pitch necessarily. It's only what ninety three, ninety four. Well, you kind of plus just how he locates it, I guess. Right, I mean, yeah, control wise, but like it's it's a it's a it's a very solid pitch. He only throws it thirty six percent of the time at this point. So why? Who cares at that point? His changeup has gotten has gotten great, and his um, I still I don't know. I still have half think that it's the same pitch. His, his slider and his his curveball. He just kind of. Um, manipulates in some way, there. and I'm probably wrong, but you know, I, I, like I mean, they're mostly the same. It's based on the the movement profile. Just right. the curveball drops a little more, which is, I think, even more terrifying if you're an opposing pitcher. Like, you see this pitch that's dropping. Is it going to drop down, like down X inches or left? X inches plus yeah. two? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be. You have so many ways you have to look. It's just a subtle difference, and he just has all these things he can throw, and they all look exactly the same until the last absolute. Second. And like you brought up Degrom earlier, obviously, but I mean. It's 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 counterintuitive what he's doing with adding velocity at 33. Um, he's probably a freak of nature, and that's why that's happening. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's always that hope in the back of your head, like oh, and then also he'll be throwing 96 in two years. Ooh, <laughs> and 
Probably not, but you know, whatever. I mean, I mean, at this point, I'm not going to doubt him. What has he added? Like, is it a, a mile per hour every year the last couple of years? Right? He, it's been ticking up, and that's what's been so impressive. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's, he's beyond anything else. Like, he just beyond emerging from seemingly total, you know, nothing. Oh, he's 93, 93, 94 last year, and then he's back at 93.1 so far this year. But again, that's fine. I mean, everything else just fits so so well into that entire kind of construct. Um, the fact that he just lives in that kind of 83 is his slowest pitch. That's his curveball. 93. The fact that he lives in that range is so wild to me. But, I mean, DeGrom does too, which is it's 101 and then 94 for a slider. So, Yeah. I I also like that Like these two guys are just as dominant but a completely different way. Yes. Like you're just explaining it. I think that's part of the reason that pitching is so much more exciting than hitting right now. Because every great hitter is basically the same hitter. They're just, they pull the ball and hit it 7,000 feet. And that's... I guess you have some who can do that, but also go opposite field with it. But the the point is to hit home runs right now. But pitchers, uh, you can quantify all the different things they do. I'm sure hitters are doing more different things too, but that's not as much as you can measure. And they were they were talking about that a little bit on um, on the distraction, the defector podcast. Uh, they had Meg Rowley from Fangraphs on there, and like just and they made the point that there's there are no like there, there's only one kind of like you said there's only like one kind of hitter that's any good anymore it's just guys who hit bombs and they work lots of some or no walks whereas i don't know why don't we have guys who hit 60 doubles anymore because <laughs> it's cool you know, like, <laughs> right? i like that yeah. kind of stuff you know like the, the, the dustin pedroyas of the world were, are are neat because they just hit you know 57 doubles or something like that and you, know, and you know you get 15 home runs out of them too but like they're just spraying the ball out of the ballpark and <clears throat> They, you they, can't blame them because, I mean, it's, no, it's I mean, what works. Like, we've it, solved hitting. We haven't yeah, solved pitching yet, yeah, which is there, the fun thing about it. I mean, yeah, you ha- you have to trick these guys who can all hit the ball, you know, 500 feet, right? Like, you, even guys who are like platoon guys. You know, like, I saw Kyle Schwarber hit the ball 463 foot, feet on Friday night. I mean, that's an unspeakable distance. Uh, I also saw Max Scherzer pitching the same night, and he was just throwing everything at people and just blowing away with change-ups and fastballs and sliders and whatnot. And, keeping them on their toes or on their heels which one both perhaps at the same time and that's why it's so hard to hit because you're in both your heels and your toes because <laughs> you're rocking back and forth the whole yeah, exactly. time exactly what do i do i'm in a rocking chair here but uh that's why i don't know like you said we've solved the hitting which is too bad because the other kind of hitting is more is neat i guess we're never gonna like i just want more seasons like that one that curtis granderson had where he hit 20 of everything i'm like that's just neat like 20 20 triples i don't that, that's like never gonna happen again because the guys are going to be—he's just going to hit home runs instead. You know, I mean, at least we have like Nick Madrigal on the White Sox and Luis Arias on the yeah. um, Minnesota are fun. Like they're all in our division too, which is kind of interesting. But yeah. there are a couple guys sprinkled here and there. I just wish there were more. But but again, I get it. Like this is what works. I'm not saying teams shouldn't do it because it's clearly the the correct strategy to use. I, just I don't even know if they did aesthetically. Yeah. That's all. You know, whatever. Yeah. And I don't even know if like moving the mound back will fix anything. Like, even if it does, I think you still eventually come back to the fact that hey, home runs are better than anything else. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think it will. It'll just make it easier to hit home runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like at the end of the day, like how like I I, I, I hasn't it been shown that the velocity doesn't really matter with how far the ball goes? Like, like the majority of the distance provided in a home run. I know that we've always had that idea that the harder you throw it, the further it travels. I, I mean, it, I, I, I get the thought process, but I swear I read something a while back that like disproved that. Like 90 some odd percent of the energy from a, from a home run is front is developed by the hitter himself. Cause I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking back to some of the absolute bombs I've seen hit off like Tim Wakefield in the past, or, you know, like, 
He's he's throwing the ball sixty four miles an hour. It's not like he's whistling it in there at one hundred and two. And if that does what it is, like if it doesn't make a difference, then I think that kind of counts in MLB's favor for moving the bound back because the point isn't just to get more home runs; it's to get more people hitting the ball. Like if you could get these guys, like get Nick Madrigal so he can hit more balls and hit like even Jose Ramirez when he wasn't a home run demolisher, like give him more doubles, like give more of these guys that aren't going to hit ones out of the park, but maybe they're having trouble with these ninety nine. 101 oh i don't know mile proper cutters from some people they have trouble with them then you can get them more chances to just get around the bases and, and do it that way but that's the i think the the good part of it if it actually works out like that but i don't know if it will i think eventually we're gonna come back to the fact that hitting dingers is good and you got to find a way to do that and people who don't will just be it might be slower to turn them out but they'll be turned out again when people figure out how to hit more home runs from back there and then it won't matter a whole lot so i mean i guess i just i just i mean and obviously with michael brantley out there still but even that you know even a couple of years ago, we had 22 dingers. We'll probably hit 27 this year. And, and you'll know, we'll get 40 doubles out of them, too, obviously. But I like, again, the bad brawl profile of like 50 doubles, 10 triples, and five home runs. That's neat. More of this, please. Yeah. The problem is, like, it's it's not fun when everybody hits home runs. It's fun when, like, three people hit 70. That's what's really fun to track. Nobody cares if everybody hits 40. Like, they should just inject one per- random player with steroids every Dude, Everybody you gets- are you are preaching to the choir right there. <laughs> <laughs> every other player gets a placebo. One guy gets just jacked up all year long. They don't tell him who it is. <laughs> we'll know pretty quickly. But- <laughs> yeah, we'll know, but you don't tell him immediately. <laughs> Damn, I really... I guess it's agreed then. 2003 was the best year in baseball history. <laughs> just one guy. Just one guy goes like, fine, screw it. Watch this. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, there aren't many moments where I remember where I was when it happened, but I remember where I was when Barry Bonds hit his, what was it, 756? I believe I was in bed because it was a, a Giants game, and it was like Very late. 10 o'clock at night, and right. I was in my little jammies and right. Right. watching. I think it was my buddy's house, but yeah, he's, it was just a laser. But Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Yeah, he's really good. Do you, know, you know who else hits lasers, Mary? Tell me. Uh, it's our, our old, old friend, Jordan Luplo, who is... Uh, yes, it's true. <laughs> he is a laser hitter against... As long as you... Pitch left-handed, he will hit lasers off you. Um, over his career, it's a lot better of a split than looking. Even like this year, he's really bad against lefty for some reason, which is weird, but it's a really small sample. But um, Jordan Luplo, he's obviously a right-handed hitter, a known lefty killer throughout his whole career. Um, the Pirates didn't seem to know it, and they just sort of, they had actually didn't bat him very much against lefties, let alone platoon him. He was just sort of out there, and they, they sent him over for Eric Gonzalez, which was kind of weird. But now that Cleveland had him, they platooned him really hard in 2019, he turned into absolutely an elite hitter against left-handed hitters. He was basically Mike Trout on that side of the plate. In 2020, they tried to just let him play against everything. He was kind of bad against everyone. But again, 2020 kind of threw it all out. It was a weird year. You're asking him to to identify these pitches he's usually not very good at. And it was also, you know, a global pandemic. So he kind of struggled there. But 
Um, this year, it's it's a extremely small sample. It's six plate appearances against righties, but he has three hits. They're all extra base hits. Two were home runs. One should have been a home run, but it was called back for a double, which was the dumbest call in the world. But he's absolutely mashing against righties so far this year. So I wrote today that I think it's this isn't like Yandy Diaz or even when we got maybe a little overexcited about Oscar Mercado. This isn't like a foaming at the mouth yelling for them to let him bat every day. But why not let him bat every day? <laughs> like even if he's terrible, if he's not. What do you got that's better? Because obviously Ben Gamble is not an actual platoon for him. That's just kind of looking at the sheet of paper and lining up the batted handedness and saying go for it. But it doesn't quite work because Ben Gamble has reverse split, so there's no sense there. But even if Jordan Luplo can be not terrible against righties, I think he's your best option anyway. And if he can hit anywhere near this, like if he just gets better at identifying his off speed, with him it's just got to be that he can't pick up the, the breaking ball away which is the problem for a lot of platoon on the same side it's because the ball breaks away from you instead of toward you um, but for luplo especially like anything down and outside uh, with a righty it's gone he's or gone as in he's not going to hit it and he's not going to swing at it it's going to be a strike he just can't seem to read the breaking pitches but the only way he's going to fix that is seeing more of them i don't know i, I again it's not like a, a foaming at the mouth i'm yelling at them to <laughs> to have jordan luplo come in and bat against righties right now just because he's done really good against six of them but I also think this is the time to do it if you're ever going to do it because there's nobody else there. I mean, Jordan Luplo, um, this is the year for experimenting on things just because it's a retooling year, even if they can outpace everything because of their pitching. This is just the year to kind of figure out what you got. And if Luplo, I mean, if he can beat anything against right-handed hitters, you have an overall elite bat. Like if he is even a 90 WRC plus hitter against right-handed pitchers, then that's an elite hitter because he's going to be like 170, 160 against lefties. So it's just kind of a, a I want Jordan Luplo to be hitting everywhere because First of all, he's fun. Like he, he had that face that he made when the umpires um, overturned his double that got caught. And then he was mouthing off to the umpire who called um, a really bad strike against him. It was like at his knees and they called it a strike. So he, or I mean like at his shin and they called it a strike. So he was, he was like pointing at the ump, like what the hell are you doing there? So Jordan Luplo is fun. I think is the main thing I'm getting at here. And it's kind of neat. That he's leading off against lefties, but I want to see him hitting more against righty somewhere on this team. Yeah. I mean, they were talking about this on radio um, broadcast on Sunday, just, by you know, Lupo even says like I've hit I've hit against righties my into literally my entire life. Like I, that's why I'm in the majors in the first place. And then just and I, obviously that's not really how things work a lot of times. You know you get, but you do you kind of get it's 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 amazing how quickly you kind of just get labeled a platoon guy very early in your career. And it just it's, I mean I know that he did struggle early on, but like it's not like he ever like, he never got consistent playing time. Like coming up as a young guy on the and, on the know, pirates on the pirates first but then well even back then like when he was coming up you know like we're talking about like 20 like a, a time when they thought they had an outfield too right because they had mccutcheon and um the other like starling Marte and um polanco who was supposed to be kind of the the outfield of the future of them so there was not a space for him and there was space and he got traded when he comes to cleveland where you know, I mean, he was caught up in the log jam of mediocrity that they've had as outfielders for a long time, so he couldn't, he couldn't really make a name for himself. And then, but yeah, they're talking about he he's I, he can do it probably. I've I've thought so for a while now. I mean, and like you said, even if he's just slightly below average, I mean, first of all, if he's slightly below average, he's better than against right. He's better than most. Um, I mean, everybody Cleveland outfielders right now. Outfield. Outfield. Yeah, exactly. So besides Eddie Rosario, who's already out there. So exactly, yeah. So I mean, I'll take it. Like you said, I, I love that he leads off against lefties because like he, he you're going to get three or four plate appearances there, and then he can do damage. And he had a home run on Sunday against against the righty too. So like you said, this is it, it feels more and more like kind of a weird stealth rebuild year. Like they're just trying to see what they have, and 
I mean, if you have something in Luplo, you might as well try and find it. Because if you're not going to go with the other young youngsters you have on the, the farm and stuff like that, then what are you doing? Like, are we just going to keep on rolling out, like you said, Ben Gamble? Or I don't even care who else at this point, honestly. It's hard to like, think of who else is there. Like, yeah, at this point, I'm like, who else could it be, actually? <laughs> I mean, ben Gamble and then, like, I'm literally looking at the list right now. I guess Naylor and Wright, but. That's not saying. I mean, there's like Zimmer and Ahmed Rosario, I suppose, like trying to find spaces for him too. Like, it's a very confusing roster when you really start looking at it. I know that's going to kind of creep us into our next discussion point, but with, with uh, Lupula in particular, like just just keep on keep on doing it. They're facing they're going to face a lefty on Tuesday night, so I mean, obviously he'll be there. But although the fact that the guy he's driven in most beyond himself is Yu Chang, so that's pretty cool. Always pro that, pro more Yu Chang action, but but this it, it it doesn't make any sense for them to not go for it just because what what else are we going to do? Are we just going to not call up any of the, any farm system guys who could be a good outfielder? Or are we just going to kind of tread water here? I know again it's only April twentieth as you listen to this. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they're going to do anything dramatic either way because no, of but like at least through April, you know, give him. I mean, I would almost say just give him the full time job through May, and then, you know, if he digs a hold, and who cares? The team wasn't going to be, you know, blown doors. And first of all, the, the division itself isn't blown doors off anyway, so it's not like you're going to lose a lot of ground. Yeah, I mean, the Royals are leading right now, so I don't think that's going to last forever. Yeah, that's Carlos Santana carries that team. So. They have one of the worst <laughs> pitching rotations I've ever seen. So, I mean, that, you know, really things good. trend in a certain direction over time. It's, that's the magic of the long season. Give Lupo the chance. Like, he's 27. He's just hitting the theoretical time when a player – why not see the guy who's 130 OPS plus or WRC plus, whatever you want to use. But, yeah. So I mentioned that I wanted him – and what I wrote today, I, my plan was to have him full-time center field and you just kind of fit – Ahmed Rosario somewhere else, but it seems like I, I don't get the love affair with Ahmed Rosario. Like he was, he's looked fine in center field. He's had a couple okay hits, but I don't see why everybody's so desperate to get him somewhere. He's had, I mean, he's hit the ball okay, but he's also had plenty of time to prove that he's not just this post type guy who's not what he was as a prospect. And I don't know if he's done that. He's not super old, so it's not time to like give up on him, but he's not a guy that I'm going to, if you think Luplo can be better, I'm not going to sacrifice his playing time just to get. I'm in Rosario in like looking at his stat page, like there's nothing here. He's just, he doesn't hit the ball. Well, he's fast. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't chase a ton. He doesn't strike out a lot, but he just, he just, there's no hard hits here. There's no, it, unlike a lot of the hitters on Cleveland, there's no proof that he's been hitting the ball hard and it's been unlucky. It's just that he's, I think this is what he is. He's a backup. He's a, a really good, I think utility player, like a super utility player. He could be, he's basically what everybody assumed Jose Ramirez would be coming up. I mean, he came, Jose Ramirez came from the bottom and then got the hype up, but Rosario is like from the hype and then he's coming back down to the super utility guy, which mm-hmm. I think is perfectly fine. If he, they keep him on forever or as long as they have him through arbitration as this, the backup guy can play everywhere. I'm perfectly fine with that, but I also don't see the reason to either take at bats away from Luplo or even Naylor and Wright. Like I, I sort of said to put him out there if you have to get him playing time somewhere just to get him some at-bats. But I also don't love the idea of taking time away from Naylor. I mean, but yeah, he's, as far as talking about this roster, just the way it is constructed, Rosario, I think, is the weirdest one for me because I also don't want a platoon shortstop. Yeah. On the Prospect podcast, Matt Schlichting talked about this. I thought it was a good point. He mentioned it's kind of like an old man yells at cloud sort of opinion, but I like the idea that you don't platoon your shortstop. He's kind of your guy that is... Anchoring Maybe we're just spoiled. Yeah, point. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're kind of spoiled from having Lindor for several years, but it seems like a position you keep. He's sort of like your keystone on defense, which I think is makes sense. And I'd rather have Jimenez be that right now than. It almost seems like they're playing him because he was <laughs> because right, they yeah. traded Lindor for him, you know, and yeah. just like 
well, we got to get the value out of him or else prove that he, we can tra- – I, I mean, I don't know. Like you said, cut bait because at this point it's just – he he has had, I, I think, a lot of time. I, mean, I, I know I'm saying this immediately after saying give Jordan Luplo time, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I just it, – it doesn't seem like – it seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot if you just can't keep on cramming him in there because he – you feel the need to justify trading for him after also trading for a different other – yeah, I feel like they traded for Jimenez, right? And then he was kind of... I guess, you know, it's like, like well, we, we gave you two players, so give us two... Yeah, right? Like, well, he gave us two players, so, uh, yeah, I guess we'll give you two players. But all we have are all these shortstops. Fine, I guess we'll take both of them. That's... And I'm not even saying... I think cut bait would also be fine at this point. I'm not... I I, I don't think I'm, I want to go that far, but I would also just be okay as him being a backup guy. I, no, I, I would cut has, bait he, with him being a starter. Yeah, it's, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Keep, yeah. Keeping him... Like, I, it sucks to just bench the guy, but, like... He he does, and you know, he has the tools to be a wonderful utility guy. I mean, he's oh, great, yeah, he's I great mean, defensively. He's fast, like you said, and he can put the ball out of the park if you if, if he ends up. You know, you know, it's it's it, you can do a lot worse if he's your utility guy, basically. And he, you he, could he, have Mike Freeman or Michael Martinez as examples of your a wonderful guy. theoretical example, man. Yes, <laughs> but it, it also in a way frees up a lot of versatility because then you have a guy who can play basically every position except catcher. Um, on your bench and that you can find a different guy to be an, another one of your utility uh, players. Someone who maybe is a bat first guy or someone, someone named Bobby, Bobby Bradley as your utility infielder or something, just cause that'd be fun. Let's do that. <laughs> Bobby Bradley utility. I want to see my shortstop a couple of times. Well, you know, why not? He's athletic. Let him, let him do it. Playing everywhere. Center field. That can't be worse than playing Carlos Santana out there in the world series. So Listen, they did I mean, that. That happened. And you know what? That should have been proof to us uh, years ago that they just don't give a shit about outfield defense because maybe they just don't think outfield exists. That's why they get bad hitters who also can't play defense out there all the time. March 31st, like, what do you mean we got to put somebody out there? Shit, we didn't get anybody. Wait, There's three what? players out there? We got, yeah. All right, so we got six six guys in our starting lineup ready to go, right? Not again. <laughs> I, I was ah, forgetting geez. something. Forgot about Every that one. Time. Ah, beans. But, yeah, I, I think it's, it's time probably to give Lupo a chance out there every day because i don't know what, what what's what's enough time to, to for him to prove to us that he can't actually hit uh right-handed pitching right like at this point he has i'm just pulling the numbers right now real quick 280 combined plate appearances in his career yeah is that yeah, it see like Damn, rosario really? is over 1500 so i mean there's a you, you've got more of an idea of what rosario is than jordan Luplo, so and so and, and then so you got 251 against righties or against lefties and there's a 300 point OPS split there, but again, over time, maybe he, you know, I, don't know. Uh, I would say, yeah, he's, I mean, he's wonderful. You know, he, he quantified this all together. He, 35, 40 home run guy against right lefties alone. I don't know. I'd say, yeah, give it a try because if it doesn't work out, then you can try something else. I mean, the, the pitching's not going anywhere anyway. They're going to score three runs a game anyway, so doing this is not going to damage their chances too much. And also, he's better than is, Ben Gamble. That's, the, that's all you got to have, really, at this point. So we'll get to see all this stuff um, coming up this week. Cleveland's going to play the White Sox again. It's a shorter series. We're not going to have another four-game um, mammoth like last time. But this is we'll have Zach Plezak and Carlos Rodon, which, uh, let me check my schedule here. The last time they played, oh, that's right, the Indians were no hit. Zach Plezak was absolutely terrible. So if Plezak wants to prove that outing was not the new normal, this is the time to do it because it's, he's facing – Pretty much the same lineup, uh, the same pitcher on the other end. Well, you know, what's funny is coming out party last year was kind of was against them, and then also that horrible, <laughs> his horrible idiocy was it was, was later that evening. So it was interesting. That was uh... 
He's a, you know, Chicago will always be a time of, of, of spectacular instance, perhaps, for Zach Wheeler. Maybe he'll throw his own no-hitter. I don't know. Let's see if that happens. That'd be funny, actually. I'd laugh uproariously. <laughs> this is a complete unrelated thing, but MLB The Show 21, they list like these attributes for people. One of the ones for Zach Plezak is homebody. I don't think that applies to him, but that's what they put. Um, he just stays at home, you know? He's just, just he's what he does. He's a guy, yeah. He just, likes, he just likes it at home. He doesn't go out and doesn't get into trouble at all. He just likes to, you know, hang out with his dog. Doesn't record Instagram videos while he's driving, nothing about the media, nothing like that. But, uh, but yeah, that's the only starting matchup um, announced. I would assume the other one's going to be Aaron Savali against... Uh, they're all messed up because yeah because lynn's on a dl now or io whatever um yeah and remember Rodon was going to pitch on monday but he had the poops so he didn't that's true he was delayed (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know what their rotation looks like right Uh, now they're all over the place it might be cease because he hasn't pitched for a while yeah probably cease Um, Cease against the volley would be interesting i think Uh, giolito just pitched so it won't be him he was terrible cease is going to be a really interesting i think um just from an outside perspective interesting pitcher to watch this year because I mean, if all the information that we've heard and all the chat, you, you, I, I know you occasionally watch the the um, Chicago feed when they're um, broadcasting, but because their pitching coach now is Giolito's old high school pitching coach, who's helped him kind of overhaul his own uh, pitching motion. They're doing the same thing with Cease now too, and it'll be interesting to see if he actually kind of starts refining his command a little bit because that's always been his problem. Obviously, he's all over the place, but he just throw, he throws the ball so hard. So it'll be interesting to watch. I think. This year in particular, to see if he kind of starts making any kind of leap. Because he's 2025. He's been around for a couple of years now, right? I think it was probably his third year. This is his third, team. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, and he's getting better. Like, he's gotten better every year. And he's oh, not, yeah, no. I mean, and the, the he's talent, not great, but... talent is very much there. Like, he throws with him, and then there's another guy they have on their farm just now. Um, Are you talking about Kopech? Oh, no, he's not on the farm. No, he's no, no. Um, shit, what's his name? He throws the ball very hard. Um, but any of them do. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, they're, they're, nowadays. Yeah, they're, 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 they're pretty good. They're, they're, Reynaldo Lopez. That's who it was. Yeah, he throws the ball. You know, a billion miles an hour. Also, so I mean, they they, they have the the raw materials to have a de- absolutely dope rotation. Um, but yeah, we'll probably see. Is, is this two games? Yeah, it's just two. At least it's not one where there's like a a, a gap and then two games another gap. They do play. Yeah, so they play Tuesday, this Wednesday. This is the weirdest Tuesday, schedule Friday. ever, dude. I don't understand the schedule makers anymore. It just it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I looked back when it was done by people. I'm over here young at a cloud. <laughs> wasn't it done by like two people yeah, too? Two, it was a, like... a married couple did it for 45 <laughs> years or something. And it was always, you know, and they they they, it was, they put work into it and they kind of made sure that the trips made sense. Now and these like, dang algorithms. And now you're going from here to there to everywhere. You're flying from Seattle to New York back down to uh, Atlanta, that's not actually happening, but you can imagine what it would be like if it did, right? And I get why they do it, but it kind of cheapens it. Like the last couple of weeks are just packed with divisional games. Like you can you can feel the the influence of trying to make drama as opposed to if it was truly just randomized with a computer with and smoothing out the schedules. Like, I mean, the NFL does that too now. The whole yeah, last uh, the whole last month, I guess, is all divisional crap. Yeah, I, I get it, but it, it just kind of yeah. Sucks. I get, I hate it, but I get it. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's not the worst either. It's just kind of like you can tell, like manufactured drama isn't quite the same as what it happens every once in a while. So no, I think I, again, two two games will be quick, but it, I, I I like I like these, these. I think these matchups are going to be a lot of fun all year, just because. Oh yeah, it's... especially now that what's his name's out. Um, 
Oh, man who tore his chest open because he was too strong. <laughs> Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez, yeah. The, the man, man, man who, who died, yes. Yeah. <laughs> According <laughs> to the rest of the roster, died. The dead man, yeah. <laughs> they held a memorial for him on yeah, opening day. But, um, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a very nip and tuck season, series all year. I'm assuming Yermin Mercedes is going to, <laughs> is going to do, do regress uh, I don't somewhere. know. I think he's going to be good. He's only got a 439 bat pip. That seems sustainable. I, I mean, good the Lord. He hit that ball so far. <laughs> it's so far on Tuesday. My God. He's so thick, too. And it's like he's wearing a shirt one size too small. <laughs> he's one of those guys who, uh, not like Lance Lynn, who's just a big dude. Like, he's he's big and looks athletic, which I think is always yeah, my favorite. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, you know, he reminds me of the look of the guys like back in the 90s who were just so muscle bound. And they're just like, just overly thick. Like, just very. Oh, yeah. Like, like Pudge Rodriguez. They're usually catchers, like Pudge and Mike Piazza. Or even just like um, Jose Canseco when he was at the PK. Well, that one was maybe not all natural. I'm just saying um, the look, all right? Pumpage. I'm just saying he looks <laughs> – he's reminding me of the Juice Boys from the 90s. I'm not saying he is that. He's just a big, thick dude, but it just reminds me of that. Yeah. I also want to watch um, Adam Eaton because he was – uh, at first, I liked him because in the no hitter, when they were up by six, he he faked a bunt later. I that that was one of those things where I hated it because it was against my team. But if it was my team, it would have been the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before the pitch, he like acted like he was going to bunt, and that was great. But then on, I think it was Saturday, he slid. He was basically wrapped around um, Andres Jimenez's legs, and then he tried to Andres Jimenez tried to stand up. He was and so mad. Him off the bag. <laughs> he, <laughs> you could tell he didn't really want to push him. He was just he sort of did it, and then. Um, I like that Cesar Hernandez was the first to come over and then stand in front of Jimenez. And then Jimenez behind him had his arms up. Like it's just kind of funny that Hernandez was in front of him, but Jimenez was all ready to fight. Um, and Hernandez was pissed. He like as they were pulling Eaton away, I saw that Josh Naylor had to get in there and pull Hernandez away. So I'll be interested to see if that rolls over at all. I know Adam apologized um, pretty soon after, and it kind of cooled off, and nobody mentioned it again. But he also leaned into a pitch at one point. He did that. He did the bunt thing. So I want to see if he keeps sort of antagonizing Cleveland. I, I want more rivalries like this. I want Adam Eaton to be a dick and piss off Cleveland. And then they, I mean, not throw at each other, but tiny shove each other and get angry and say mean things after the game. I want all this. We That's want a, I mean. a nice, a nice old fashioned bargain basement Padres versus Dodgers <laughs> is what we want. Go. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly what I just described. Isn't it? Neither team's very good, but they hate each other. So. Yeah. You know, they're, they're both fighting for the division or at least second place. The, maybe yeah, third. Exactly. They're both fighting for the same position in the division. <laughs> Now we will not we will not elucidate on that at all. It is exactly, this. and you know what? Maybe it'll be like this the whole way through. The entire division is going to eat itself. That just like broke my illusion of how good the series is because Dodgers <laughs> and Padres just happened. Listen, it's, <laughs> it's a it's an equally it's equal levels of talent going at it trying to win every moment. At the end of the day, isn't that what we all want here? It's it's not it's it's my it's not it's, it's a little league or something. At least they're still pros. <laughs> It's, it's the same tension, just kind of scaled down. If you exactly. click the corner of it and dragged it in, it's the same size, but just yes. the same dimensions, just a little bit smaller. Right, exactly. You know what? And I care about it more because those guys out there on the go. West Coast, they're all flash and stuff. They're the grit <laughs> of the rust belt, baby. Anyway, we don't even know how good those teams out West are. They only ever play each other. So, you know yeah, what? Right? And they play at like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Who does that? Are the games even happening, Matt? I don't know. I, I look Absolutely at the backs where they say, oh, it looks like Fernando Tessie's his home run. Did he, though? Oh, I thought Clayton Kershaw was washed up, and now he's throwing shutouts. Maybe he is. Maybe they're making it all up. So, how are we to we'll know? know? All they ever There's do no is possible play. way to know. No, I mean they're all playing in Coors Field half the time. The place is fake. 
Uh, the other half of the time, they're playing in places where <laughs> San Diego. What San is that? Diego. I've that's never a, heard of that. They don't have baseball there. It's a fake place. Uh, and then in Los Angeles, that's all just movie magic anyway. The only place I can trust really is uh, San Francisco because I've been there, but it could have just been a set or something or, or an old jail for all I know. So, yeah, what I'm saying is that the NOS is a fake division and you can't trust how good the teams are because they only ever play themselves. And then when they get, finally get to the World Series, they get to play against a small market team like the Rays. So what I'm saying is asterisk anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, after that two-game series, they'll go uh, four games against the Yankees, which – Again, if somebody lives in New York, this is my World Series, my Super Bowl every year, is beating this damn team, which I got to tell you, the last couple of years have been rough because <laughs> of the playoffs. Um, not a fun time, but as long as they can at least win this, I think I'll be a little happy. And right now, like, obviously the Yankees are going to turn around eventually, but it'd be really cool if they didn't for like another week because they are an absolute dumpster fire. And it's, I think we've, we've almost gotten complacent with slow starts because of looking at our fan base compared to the Yankees. Obviously people are mad like when Cleveland isn't good, but also nobody's throwing baseballs on the field. And like the Yankees are not prepared to be this bad early on. We've kind of just accepted it and we kind of get that eventually we'll be better. Just kind of bummed but, out about it though. Yeah. It's just ah, kind of bu- we're just sad and accept, <laughs> but Yankees fans are so pissed because they're just not good. And I get it. They're terrible. They have like one of the worst offenses in baseball, the second worst slugging percentage with, in an offense that has Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge and a hundred billion dollars injected into it, and you still can't hit a home run, it's kind of—I get why they're mad, but I also think it's hilarious because of the Yankees and fuck the Yankees. So Giancarlo Stanton care. makes more money than the entire Indians roster. So <laughs> well, I'm I mean, sure there's a few of them you could find there. Yeah, but Stanton. Yeah. yeah, but also I think we might see Corey Kluber this weekend. Oh, he's not been good. He's part of the uh, James Antalion hasn't been good either. So all these guys that like some guy named Nick Nelson might be might also be someone who makes an appearance. I don't know. Yeah, their, their whole their whole rotation's falling apart. Yeah. Well, they. I mean, they lost Tanaka. They lost James Paxson. They didn't really fill it with anything. I think that's the Yankees' biggest issue, which is kind of something. It doesn't matter how much of a um, salary you have if you're replacing it with these bargain basement sorry Corey kluber but <laughs> bargain basement pitchers reclamation the fan projects. base is not going to be happy there you go that's a nicer way to say nice. it <laughs> bounce back <laughs> candidates i've been writing about the indians for long enough where uh yeah i uh you know i i know how to you uh, you know make a euphemisms and i almost yeah, said euphem- euphemize but that sounds yeah. wrong <laughs> but they're not exactly signing garrett coles out there it's, you know what place. and like all right i'll say this i in a sense, I understand where the average Yankee fan is coming from because, to your point, they do have unlimited money. And they did just watch the only other team that has unlimited money spend said unlimited money on pitching and things they needed to bolster a World Series defense, right? Like, the Dodgers dumped a bunch of money into Trevor Bauer, and they have Kershaw, they have Urias, and a couple of young guys who have developed pretty well. And the Yankees just kind of kept um, – what's his name? Mayhew, and then after that, they just kind of went, oh, oh this works out. And even that was a struggle. It wasn't like they didn't come out early and just get them. They they tried to make sure they got them. Yeah, least amount of For some reason, Rufned Odor is playing more than him. I don't know what's going on here. But uh, Jay Bruce is now retired. <laughs> also, I forgot about that. Yeah, so he had ostensible starting first baseman retired. Like Mike Talkman is probably going to play there now. He's. It is amazing how bad they are right now. And, like, it's just you, you don't – you almost see the the – the structure of them getting better because they do still have Judge and Stanton and Hicks. Oh, Hicks sucks. And Sanchez. I mean, they're they're going to hit a bunch of home oh, runs. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, they'll but... be good, but I. It's just like I was saying before we started the podcast. It just it, that division's really good. Like the Blue Jays are a strong team. The Orioles don't suck as much as they used to. 
which is saying something, you know. I mean, they're, they're oh, still yeah, going to they're still going to lose ninety games, or they're not going to lose one hundred and five or whatever. Uh, the Red Sox are, you know, they are hitting again at least. They can't; their pitching is spotty, and the Rays are very good. They're just going to piss everyone off and scrape by and win ninety four games. So the Yankees are just in a tough hole because, I, and I know it's only you know couple of you don't get five and ten but like that's a that's a bigger hill to climb and then it seems i suppose and they just don't there's a good chance the division is decided by like five games and they just lost five in a row so right exactly and like and you look at the rotation too and you're like who is going to be good in the rotation now like even i don't even know garrett cole is great obviously montgomery has, has never been all that good Corey kluber is 35 years old and I hope he's still good. Oh, he's still got a lot of strikeouts. He's not walking a lot of people. I don't yeah, think he looked all right for that first. Actually, he's walking time, a lot of people. Never mind. At first, but uh, James and Tyon is you know whatever. Domingo German is not a guy who you can never really trust that much. He's kind of a swing starter, and he's listed as a fifth starting pitcher. So I don't even know if they're both. But yeah, I just I, I understand where Yankees fans are coming from simply because if you have the money gun, shoot the money gun. It's Why not are, exactly a hard formula like, here. Like the, the, the Dodgers did that. They shoot the money gun. They also shot the money gun over at their developmental side of things and just made that stupid good. So, I don't know. I'm assuming he's probably going to end up with Brian Cashman getting fired or something. I don't know. Which is crazy because he's done He's been there forever, good, dude. But, I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like You look at his, his overall you know career with the, with the Yankees. It's great, but it's just – they also haven't won a World Series now in 11 years, which, boy, I wish I had that problem. But, <laughs> but I think – Teams are going to look at the Dodgers and see like Andrew Friedman, who came from the Rays, who had to work with such a small budget and and just expanded it so well. I think that's going to be the future of it. Like they'll, they'll take these guys from the Rays or Cleveland, like Chris Antonetti at some point. Yeah, like give him two hundred million dollars to work with and and watch what happens with your team. I'm well, sure I, th- be- I think that's what's so frustrating for Yankees fans is that like Cashman can do that sort of thing. I, th- I think I think and that, it's not just all him. I was I think that the structures are there for them to, to need to do those things. It's just they cheaped out at random times. It didn't make any sense, and like you need to be good. Like at the end of the day, like I don't know, like, they're, they're not going to lose New York or anything like that. You know, the Mets may be good now, but they're still the fucking Mets. Um, I don't think they're good. Re- I guess they are okay right now, but well, I mean, they they they, they made the big splashes, right? They're, they're yeah. the ones who ma- made all the big noise, and if they'd been able to sign Bauer, that would have been a big deal. But they also haven't played a lot of games. But yeah, it's 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 it's. This happens every couple of years is where the Yankees fall into, in, into the toilet and they figure something out. I, I remember one year it was get Roger Clemens back. It didn't work out, but, you know, whatever. It was at least interesting for a while. Maybe they'll resign Roger Clemens is what I'm saying. All right, Mary. Uh, every Monday, I ask everybody on Twitter, uh, usually a poll, but we couldn't fit the damn names in this time. So we just left it as an open-ended question. Couldn't figure it out, people. Sorry. <laughs> it actually worked out pretty well. We got a bunch of responses. Um, we asked today at Cover the Corner, we asked everybody for tonight's podcast, What's your preferred outfield for Cleveland right now? Um, there was a lot of responses. My favorite one, I think, is just a picture of Baseball America with Manny Ramirez, Kenny Lofton, and Albert Bell on it, which is seems weird to think of having three outfielders that good at one time. That seems impossible right now, but that's that's what they had, and that's <laughs> what people want. And I think at this point, what would that be like? A 50-year-old Manny Ramirez, Kenny Lofton, Albert Bell trio is probably not too far off what they have now than Eddie Rosario, but there was that one. There was a lot of Rosario and left is the obvious one to stay there. Luplo center, Naylor and right, I think is a pretty common one. Like again, like we were talking about earlier, I, I don't want, I'm fine with just having Luplo play center all the time. I don't want Rosario. There's a couple of people who are saying that exact thing, you know, Rosario, Luplo, Naylor, which honestly I'm fine with. Um, I, I can roll with that right now, you know. I mean, obviously it'd be cool to see what Daniel Johnson's got going. One guy who says, 
one of his answers was what Rosario, Rosario, Lupo, and then DJ off the bench. At that point, I'm like, why, why Ahmed Rosario? Maybe they're just sick of Josh Naylor. I don't know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, why have Ahmed Rosario there? Why not have Daniel Johnson be the starting? Right. Exactly. Like at that point, like, what are we? Like, what, what is what? What is the attachment to um, to to Ahmed Rosario except for you know the same thing that the team is doing, where they just feel like they're trapped and we have to play him because we traded our All Star for him, but like. But yeah, no, I think I think my idea would, would I mean, it, right now would probably involve Daniel Johnson. I'm just stuck because I like Josh Naylor so much, and so I want to make sure he's out there trying to get his chances in because I think he's going to be good. He hits the ball so damn hard, Matt, and I just I love it. Like, I, I think the right answer is Naylor at first, though, so I don't think it matters. Like, I think have, you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, you can have Daniel Johnson in right and have him at first because Bobby Bradley and Josh Jake Bauer. I mean, Bauer's at this point. I think I can, we can call it like they're going to keep putting out there just because they'll lose him if they try to DFA him, but. We can pretty much put a fork in that one and then just wait on Bobby Bradley. But Bobby Bradley was the clear answer. He'd probably be up by now because him and even Daniel Johnson, like they're not guys who you manipulate their service time for. So I'm forgetting about the freedom that first base uh, kind of provides you there because I've been forgetting that that actually is just. Although then we will get on to Yu Chang, which, as we all know, that's a problem because we need him out there to get his own chances. I, uh, I refer back to what we were talking about earlier tonight. They need to figure out what they have here. And I think with Yu Chang, we have what's known as a future star. Uh, now I may be wearing rose-colored glasses. I am. Eh, maybe a little rose-colored. Maybe a little. They're so rose-colored you can't see through them. But it's it's just a picture of a rose in your peripheral vision. He's also another good utility guy. I mean, like if Rosario, if they flip him or something, then I have no problem with Chang being a guy that plays everywhere and gets like three, four games a week. Sure, why not? Oh yeah, I, I, I don't know if he's going to be your starting first baseman anytime soon, or because he's not going to be your starting shortstop. He's Maybe second base after. See, see, we got to we got to make sure he gets his reps now, so he's comfortable once he moves to his current <laughs> position as second base, all star second for base the next decade. For yeah. The next decade, yeah. But yeah, the outfield. Um, Zach at Hudbring on Twitter said Ronald Acuna Jr., Mike Trout, Nick Castellanos. Fair. That's also one that be. Uh, I didn't specify it had to be in the realm of possibility, and that is also one that'd be very good right now. I just feel like it seems unfair to play Ronald Acuna out of out of position. I, although I guess at this point we're probably moving Trout to left field. Yeah, he's finally declining on defense. He's bad now, so we have to he's move terrible. him probably to DH, actually. <laughs> Although the, the real tragedy there would be, of course, uh, having um, Castellanos play defensively if, if if we had any option not to, because uh, <laughs> it's not please no. But then we could have the meme call where we it's a deep right. That makes it a home run. Four listen, listen, we need the memes is what we need <laughs> here. What we, the, the memes are better than the offense. Listen, we we're chasing now. memes. Uh, what's the score? <laughs> I, I, I want to write a little script that just tells you whenever, whenever it's 3-0, uh, with the Reds in the lead. Or, no, actually, no, I need the Reds to be in the lead. I need to be 3-0 and Castellanos coming back. If I can just kind of wait, wait to just pipe me into that, uh, that video feed real quick and go, maybe. I need to see if it happens. Let's see if it's a, let's see if it will be a four a four nothing ball game. <laughs> and at um, Lev Rizek, he says anything minus Gamel, which is also very accurate. Preach, buddy, preach. Which right now Gamel is in AAA, which I feel bad. He seems like a good guy. He has a fan club on Twitter. That Listen, bro, I just don't care about some bit ass player. <laughs> oh damn! I want the team to win and be good. He, he got his first said. hit, Merritt. He's on a roll now. He's going. Not his first hit ever. I mean, listen. <laughs> listen. You know what? On Twitter, there's a Madrigal tracker, not a Gamble tracker. I'm tracking <laughs> Nick Madrigal's chase for 3,000. Well, I'm going to make a Ben Gamble tracker then. Fine, dude. Well, you got a lot of work to, to pick up because I want to see I want to see evidence of every single hit. 
That won't take long. <laughs> yep. That will not take very long. No. I'm going to track them to 200 hits, and then we'll call it a day. That's enough. That's a, that's a heroic cha- uh, charge right there. <laughs> I do like people that list like Rosario, Rosario, and Luplo, because that is clearly a law firm, and I like that. I like the, uh... Call Rosario, Luplo, and Rosario <laughs> today for your uh, personal injury needs. <laughs> Injured at first base? Call us. I was hit by an ambulance. So. There you go. <laughs> call them. There you go. There I'll call them. We don't have a number, but you got to find it. Part of the fun. Yeah, you know that's that's, that's part of the excitement. It's all it's a big old. Uh... <laughs> it's an AR, or yeah, a reality. Yeah. All right, Merritt. Uh, that'll do it for us this week. If you haven't already, followed us at Cover the Corner on Twitter, Cover the Corner on Facebook. Um, I'm Matt Roy on Twitter. Merritt is at Merrill Lunch, like Merrill Lynch with lunch. Fun is at CoverTheCorner.com. And uh, Merritt, talk to you next week. I'll be there.